Well, good morning. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are headed today as we continue through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. What is the darkest dark that you've ever experienced? What is the darkest dark you've ever experienced? I've, I've had a, a couple of memories of the power going out uh, when I was a kid at school uh, a couple times. Uh, for a moment, the whole classroom was just plunged into utter darkness until the teacher got out the flashlight and started spreading it around. And of course, all the kids are murmuring and, and that sort of thing. And, and then they're, you know, get it restored eventually. But, but for a moment, it's completely unexpected. And everything is dark, and your eyes haven't had a chance to adjust, right? That's pretty dark. But by far, the darkest dark that I've ever experienced was visiting Carlsbad Caverns. Have any of you ever been there? Got a few people nodding, yeah? Uh, Carlsbad Caverns is this massive system of underground caves in New Mexico, I remember going on a tour and seeing all these incredible underground rock formations. We learned all about the different uh, kinds of formations. I remember learning about stalactites and stalagmites, right? And, and, and I learned uh, what each of them meant, the difference between them. They're both rock formations that grow uh, either down from the ceiling or up from the ground. And the way they taught us how to remember it is that stalactites are the ones that grow from the ceiling because they hold tight to the ceiling. And the stalagmites are the ones that come up from the ground because they might make it to the ceiling someday, right? And so, you know, it's fun, fun little trivia there. But, but all of these different rock formations were, were beautiful, and it was just otherworldly. Like, it felt like walking into some sort of alien landscape underground. But by far the most amazing part of Carlsbad Caverns is an area called the Big Room called the Big Room. It's the largest underground chamber in the entire United States. It's over 350,000 square feet, uh, and, and it's hundreds of feet underground, about 255 feet tall at, at the tallest part. It's this massive room. You could fit about six football fields inside of it. It's huge. So they bring you into this room on the tour, and they let you know before they do this, but for a moment, they turn all the lights off, and it's dark. It is really, really dark. I mean, normally, when you're plunged into some kind of darkness, your eyes adjust, and you're able to eventually see a little bit, right? But a few hundred feet underground... There's no light for your eyes to adjust to. There's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars, there is nothing. It is just utter darkness. And they tell you, you know, hold your hand up in front of your face and wave. And it's scary because you do it and you can't even see this far in front of you. It is dark. That's the darkest dark I've ever experienced. Deep underground in Carlsbad Caverns. And so I want to ask you this question, how do you get rid of darkness? How do you get rid of darkness? 
I mean, it's not something that you can run away from, right? No matter how many laps you run around the big room, it's still dark, and you're probably going to trip over one of those stalagmites at some point. Uh, It's not like a stain or dirt that you can scrub away. It's not like noise that you can silence. How do you get rid of darkness? Well, the only way to get rid of darkness is to shine light. The only way you can get rid of darkness is to shine light. You can't get rid of darkness by taking it away. You can only get rid of darkness by adding light to it. And the moment you do, once light shines, darkness is powerless against it. It only takes a small light to fill a large space. And this is the image that Paul works with in our text today, at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5. And as we read, we're going to see that spiritual darkness is not something that we can just try to avoid, but rather it is something that must be dispelled with light. And so let's, let's read our passage here. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among the saints." Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things... The wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead in Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the light that you shine into our darkness. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we continue through the book of Ephesians, uh, this section continues to kind of be this, this section that's filled with all kinds of practical uh, instruction, right? We see this throughout the whole second part of the book. In, in the first part, Paul has painted this huge and wondrous picture of all that God is doing. And, and in the second half, he shows us what that means as we live our lives in the reality of all that God has done. And so, you know, the, the break between chapter 4 and chapter 5 is fairly arbitrary, right? Last week we talked about how there are all of these ways that, that Paul goes on during this section to say, don't do this, instead do this because of, of, of this, right? We talked about this pattern, and, and he continues that pattern through this section uh, in chapter 5. But he introduces this new image, he introduces this image of light and darkness. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning. Light and darkness, right? And, and these uh, words that Paul uses refer to our identity. He uses this to talk about who we are, right? In verse 8, he writes, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord... You are light. Notice he doesn't say you once were in darkness, but now you are in light. Instead, he says, once you were darkness, and now you are light. You see, God has not just changed our location. He has changed our identity. God doesn't just change where we are. He changes who we are. In the Lord, we have gone from black holes to bright stars. This is who we are. We were darkness, but now in the Lord, we are light. And Jesus spoke this identity over his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, right? You remember this? He says in, in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. This is who you are. It's not just where we are or what we do. It is who we are. You are the light of the world. But, but it does affect what we do. Who we are affects what we do. Jesus goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
And in our passage, Paul makes a similar transition. He goes from saying, you are light in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, so live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. You see, this new identity runs far deeper than our actions, but it does affect our actions. So what does it look like when we live in light instead of darkness? What does it look like as we live as light instead of darkness? Well, there's a couple of things that, that I want to point out that he kind of digs into as he talks about this. The first is that darkness conceals, whereas light reveals. We read this in verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. You see, darkness is secretive. It's like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, right? Of course, I'm going to make this comment. He's always sneaking, right? That's what, that's what he always says. Always deceiving. Always deceptive. Trying to hide its true self. But light exposes, right? Light doesn't have anything to hide. Because of God's grace, we no longer hide our sins behind a facade of religious activity. Rather, we confess our sins and we receive forgiveness. This is what it is to live in the light. Now, reading verse 11, you know, it says, don't participate in these works of darkness. Instead, expose them could imply calling out each other's sins, right? Expose one another's darkness. And I think to some extent, it actually does mean that. I mean, we, we do need to be honest with each other and hold each other accountable. However, remember again some of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own? He goes on to say, first take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. You see, so I, I think while Paul does perhaps imply a sense of exposing one another's darkness, I think we do better to read Paul's words about exposing darkness as a call to honest self-reflection rather than others' condemnation, right? You were darkness, but now... You are light. So let us be a people who repent of our sins, who confess them to God and receive forgiveness so that we can shine brightly. There's nothing to hide when we're living in the light because all there is is God's grace and love for us. And some of you may be hearing this and you think, well, no, my life's an open book. I don't have anything to hide. But darkness can be more subtle than outright 
deception and sneakiness, right? Darkness doesn't only make people secretive about their evil. It also can make people really sleepy about goodness. It doesn't just make people secretive about evil. It can also make people sleepy about goodness, right? This is another difference that we see between darkness and light. Darkness is sleepy, but light is awake. We read this in verse 14. Sleeper, awake! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, I mentioned in this Friday's email, if you got a chance to read it, I am very susceptible to being sleepy this time of year. All right, as the days grow darker, I just get really sleepy. And in the email, I mentioned that I can start getting sleepy and thinking about bedtime only to realize that, oh my goodness, it's only 8 p.m. And when Caitlin read the email, she nudged me and said, actually, it's probably more accurately 6 or 7 p.m. that you start to get sleepy. All right, whatever the case, the point is, it's really easy to lose energy when it's dark and when it's dreary. I mean, do any of you experience that? during the winter? Yeah. And this is true of of us this time of year, but I think it can also be true in our relationships with one another, in our relationships with society and the world around us. It's very easy when there's conflict and tension going on to just sort of check out, to sort of distance ourselves. It's easy to avoid problems that we'd rather not face and fall asleep to them. But Paul here alludes to Isaiah chapter 60, and he says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, Christians are not to be sleepy people, but rather people who are awake to the world and to those who are around us. People who are ready to serve, to do good. This is what it means to be the light. It means that we are daytime people. We're not just people who avoid darkness. We're people who shine in darkness. Remember, darkness is not just something that can be gotten rid of by avoiding it. It can only be overcome by shining light. And so what kind of light are we to shine in the midst of darkness? Well, in the passage, Paul describes at least two ways of being light in a dark world. The first is the light of love. And another is the light of worship. Love and worship are the light that we shine as God's people And so let's talk about each one of these. First, love. All right, the chapter, chapter 5 opens with these words. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You see, three times, Paul emphasizes variations of the word love. He says, beloved children. 
Live in love as Christ loved. Three times again and again, he says this word, love. Love is the light that we shine. Love is the light that we shine. And we shine it by being imitators of God. Right? Just as the moon imitates the sun by reflecting it, its light, so we imitate God by reflecting his love. That metaphor might be a bit of a cliche, but it's so true. The light of love dispels the darkness of hate and the darkness of sin. The light of love dispels the darkness of hate and the darkness of sin. Love dispels hate. All right, again, let's consider the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, You have heard what it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, love is the only thing that can dispel hatred. We don't just dispel hatred by keeping our distance. We don't dispel hatred by being a neutral party. We dispel hatred by loving one another, by investing in one another, by being committed to one another. We dispel hate by loving. This is the only way to overcome hatred, to love even our enemies, and to pray for those even who persecute us. Love dispels hatred. And how much the world needs that today. But love also dispels sin, right? Paul goes on to write in verses 3 and 4 about fornication, impurity, greed, obscene, silly, and vulgar talk. And what all of these different things have in common is the object objectification of other people and other things. Right? Fornication and impurity objectify people into means of satisfying sexual appetite. Greed is a mean of, of, of satisfying our own desire for stuff and things. Obscene, silly, and vulgar talk objectifies people as merely enemies, monsters that we can just talk bad about. The only way to overcome any of these things is love, right? I, I grew up where, uh, in, in a you know, church where we were often told, you know, don't, don't lust after other people. You know, lust is bad. And that's true, but that's only part of the story. Lust is bad, yeah, but love is good. And we were often told that really all we were supposed to do is not lust, but that's not the gospel. That's religion. The gospel teaches us not only to not sin, but to love. We can't just avoid darkness. We have to shine light in darkness. It's the only way we can overcome things like fornication and impurity is love. By transforming people who were formerly objects 
into neighbors and friends, beloved fellow children of God. The only way that we can transform greed into love is by no longer objectifying everything around us, but by being people who love, who desire to give more than receive. Love dispels hate and love dispels sin. The only way to overcome darkness is to shine light. This is what we see here in this passage. So love is one of the ways that we shine light into the world. But another way that Paul writes about is worship. This is at the end of the passage that we've just read. In verse 18, he writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I think Paul has a bit of a sense of humor here as he compares the effects of wine and the effects of the Holy Spirit. And this has actually been done before, right? Do you remember the story in Acts 2 of Pentecost, right? The disciples were filled with the Spirit, and what do the people say about them? They must be drunk, right? And they were making fun of them, but Paul here is making a point. He says, hey, don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the spirits. And there are some worthy comparisons. After all, when someone is drunk on wine, what do we say? We say they are under the influence. To be filled with the Spirit is to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. To be a people who are moved by the things that move God. To be a people who are blown by the wind of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, a very different kind of drunkenness. And it's not one that leads to lack of control, but rather one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. You see, worship is another light that we shine in the world. There's a common uh, phrase that, that folks used to live by, and, and we're still quite familiar with it. Eat, drink, be merry. But for us, it's not eat, drink, and be merry. It's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's what we live by. We live by worship. And worship is not just something that we're to do when times are good. I mean, Acts chapter 16, Paul himself is very familiar with worshiping and bad times. In this story, Paul and Silas are in prison. In the middle of the night, what do they do? They start singing. And all the other prisoners hear them and wonder what's up. And then there's an earthquake and the cell breaks open. And, but they stay, right? They're worshiping in the midst of prison, right? Paul likely wrote this letter while he was in prison. Remember back to the beginning of chapter 4, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. And so worship is not just a matter of circumstances. I'll worship when things are going well. 
No matter our circumstances, we should worship God by singing and making melody in our hearts, which, if we're honest, during this time of year, we're worshiping by making melody in our hearts a little bit more because of COVID. But truly, worship is not an emotion. It's a way of life. And so we sing, we praise the Lord, whether it's with our voices or with our hearts. This is a light that shines in the midst of darkness. And it doesn't make sense to the world that we would do this. And the same thing is true as he goes on to write in the very next uh, verse, not only uh, singing songs and hymns, but also giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship and gratitude are lights that we shine. Now, psychologists have written extensively about how beneficial gratitude is for a person's mental health. They've done a ton of studies on this and that cultivating practices of gratitude and thankfulness significantly transforms your outlook on life, your experience of everyday events. And when they write about stuff like this, they always say it like it's some kind of novel idea, some kind of new finding that they've, they've done research on. But this truth has been known for thousands of years, kept in the wisdom of Scripture and the gospel. Gratitude, just like worship, is a way of life, not dependent on our circumstances. And this makes even less sense than worshiping in the midst of difficult times. Being, being grateful, even amidst challenging times, is something that we are, are called to as God's people, not just for when things are going well. I was recently reading a book, and there was a line in the middle of it that struck me. The author writes, Gratitude is not a pair of rose-colored glasses. It is the essence of our spiritual condition. Gratitude is not a pair of rose-colored glasses. It's the essence of our spiritual condition. This is so true. I mean, as we have read throughout the book of Ephesians over and over again, we've come across this phrase, lavished us with grace. God has lavished us with grace. Everything that we have, our very breath, is the grace of God. And so gratitude is the essence of our condition. It's the essence of our being. There is always something to give thanks for. And one really practical way of doing this is a particular prayer practice called the examine. We've talked about this in class before. Uh, I included this in an email that I sent out a couple weeks ago. Have any of you heard of, of this prayer of examine? Uh, it's, it's very simply a way of just pausing to reflect on your day with gratitude. And as you walk through each moment of your day, maybe hour by hour or moment by moment, you recall what God was up to 
in those moments. And you're honest with God. You're grateful for things that you can be grateful for. You're frustrated about things you should be frustrated about. But it's this means of recalling our days before God with grateful hearts. And, and this is a practice that's been particularly meaningful to me in, in the last few weeks. Um, I'll, I'll be really honest and say I, I've, I've been wrestling a little bit. Uh, this season of COVID has been challenging. It's difficult to not be with people as often. I, I am an introvert by nature, and so it is my nature when plans are canceled to celebrate. And so COVID is, has been much cause for celebration to some extent, but about six, eight, nine months into it, it's finally wearing on me. And I miss people. And it's easy to feel discouraged. It's easy to wonder, man, what are people up to? Where, where are you? What, what are you doing, right? It's, it's easy to feel that. And something that has been the grace of God in my life is this practice of the examine. And it can be done daily, but I, I usually try to do it at the beginning of each week. And I'll just pause and I'll think about the past week. And I make a list of every conversation I've had, every meeting I've been in, uh, every, everything that I've participated in. And I very quickly, in those times, move from feeling frantic, anxious, worried, depressed, to feeling grateful. Oh, I remember I got to talk to so-and-so last week. That was a gift. Hey, I got to meet with the men's group on Tuesday. That was a gift. Hey, we logged on to Zoom with some other folks at, at church on Wednesday night. That was a gift. You know, I got to talk to one of my friends on the phone. That was a gift. And every time I'm, I remember these moments, I go from being anxious and, and depressed to, to feeling really grateful. And so even in the midst of, of a time like COVID, there are things to be grateful for. If we only slow down to look at them and pay attention to the good things that God is doing in our midst, that we could easily rush past. And so gratitude is a light that we can shine in darkness. And it doesn't make sense to the world around us to worship, to love, to be grateful. Whenever there's so much hate and frustration, anger and pain. But that's the wonder of the gospel. It doesn't really make sense that life can come from death. It doesn't really make sense that light can dispel darkness. But that's how it is in the Lord. You were once darkness, but now in the Lord, you are light. You are light. And so this morning, we read Psalm 146. Bill led us in, in reading that psalm together. And Psalm 146 is the first of five hallelujah psalms that end the book of Psalms. If you want to flip over there, you can, you can look and see the, the last five psalms of the book of Psalms all begin and end with the phrase, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, which, which in Hebrew is the word hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so these are hallelujah psalms, and they're a perfect example of what it is to worship God, to give thanks to God, even in the midst of darkness. Just this morning, we read, and find he, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. Right? This, this psalm is not shying away from the reality of prisoners, blindness, those who are bowed down, those who are strangers and orphans. It's not shying away from that reality. It's just praising the Lord amidst that reality and trusting that God is God. That the Lord is the Lord. And so the psalm says, begins and ends, praise the Lord. This is who we are to be as God's people. And so as we move toward the table together this morning, I want to write our own hallelujah psalm. And so just like we did a few weeks ago uh, with a prayer prompt, uh, I'm going to give you another one today. And it's very similar to what we've read in, in these hallelujah psalms. The Lord blank, right? And you can fill in whatever you want. The Lord is good. The Lord does justice. The Lord gives grace. Whatever you want, fill in the blank. The Lord blank. And then we're going to read this and hear our own hallelujah psalm. As we shine light amidst darkness. And so, pull out your phone, if you haven't already, and get ready to text your response uh, to, to my phone number there, 253-642-6288. And a song is going to play for the next five minutes or so. Take this time to pray and respond. Thank you. 